someone has said, fear, worry, and anxiety are our biggest enemies, I tend to agree. Recently, I read a very fascinating story. It's actually an ancient legend of a man who was on a ride to Constantinople. Um, and as he's driving along, an old woman stopped him and asked for a ride. He took her up on, on his, I guess, a wagon at the time um, to go along. And as they're traveling, he kept looking at her. And the more he'd look over at her, the more frightened he became. Finally asked her who she was. And the old woman replied, I am cholera. Well, now he's even more frightened and demanded that she get down and walk. He was not taking her anywhere. However, she convinced him to take her along by promising that she would not kill more than five people in Constantinople. So he reluctantly agreed, but only after she said, here is a dagger. It's the only thing that will kill me. If I have not kept my promise, I will meet up with you in a few days, and you're welcome to stab me with it. So, in Constantinople, 120 people died of cholera. The old man was livid. He went searching for that woman. And when he found her, he raised the dagger and angrily said, you promised no more than five, and 120 are dead. She said, wait a minute, I only killed five. Fear killed the others. Um, this legend has proven many times, I believe, to be a true parable of life. Disease does kill thousands of people, but thousands more die because they are overwhelmed by fear. When we look to the future with fear, expecting the worst, rather than with confidence, expecting the best, we become crippled. Crippled and um, anxiety, with anxiety and paralyzed with fear and worry. From the time we are born until we die, fear often casts its dark shadow on us. Fear crushes our spirit, breaks down our immune system and weakens our will and renders us powerless in the battles that we have to face. Fear strangles our joy and destroys our dreams. Fear often occurs as a result of some threat or a situation or danger that apparently is uncontrollable or unavoidable. If there's anything we learned from COVID, we've learned how suddenly fear can strike in each person in a whole nation, actually in the whole world. Um, people became so fearful, expecting that everyone they met was carrying this disease and, and would infect them. Every cough, every sneeze sent us into a panic. We were sh continually asking, does that mean I have COVID? And if I do, 
Is it my death sentence? So how do we deal with fear? What can deliver us from our fear? Or maybe the better question is, who can deliver us from the fear? Did you know that Scripture has more than 3,000 promises of God's love and care? most of which are specifically encouraging in times of crisis. By clinging to those promises, it fills us with hope and confidence that we can face the catastrophe. With God by our side or with Christ by our side, we, never, he, we know he will never leave us or forsake us. One of the great Bible stories on overcoming fear is an often forgotten story in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 6. You may remember it. It's the story of the king of Syria. And he has come against Israel several times. Every single time he's come against Israel. The king of Israel's already there with his armies. It got to the point where the king of Syria was sure he had a traitor in his group. And by verse 11, the king of Syria asks, which one of you is the traitor? Who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? A little frightened, the officer replied, it's not us, my lord, the king. Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel, even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. So now the king of Syria has come and surrounded the Israelite city of Dothan. He is convinced that unless Elisha is killed, he will never be able to overcome Israel. So he brings his troops and surrounds the town where Elisha is. When Elisha's servant woke up the next morning, he saw what had happened, and he was filled with worry and fear and said, oh, sir, what will we do now? Elisha's answer is classic. It provides a life-changing principle for each of us. He simply says in verse 16, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And now we find that the solution is there even when there doesn't seem to be a solution because those that are with us are more than those that are with them. Elisha prays, and I love that he doesn't pray that God will do something with the Syrian army or that they'll be killed on the battlefield or sent home packing. No, 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 no. The Lord said, I, excuse me, Elisha says, oh, Lord, Open his eyes and let him see. When his servant opened his eyes to see, what did he see? He saw the chariots of fire and the horsemen that God had sent far outweighed the amount that the king of Syria had surrounding them. So despite the fact that the fear situation didn't change, the overwhelming fear could be put to rest. You probably know the rest of the story. Um, Elisha, or excuse me, 
the Syrian army is struck with blindness, and Elisha goes to them and says, he who you seek is not here, and leads him right into downtown Samaria, right into the capital of the city, where the king of Israel says, what should we do with them now? Should we kill them all? Elisha says, no, 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 no. We're going to feed them. Kind of an odd solution. However, the Bible then says they went their way and never returned. The point of all of this is God has a thousand ways that he can work for us. He has a thousand ways to deliver us from our fears. If our eyes are focused on the problem, fear overcomes us. If our eyes are fixed upon Jesus, the emotion of fear is probably still there, but it's not overpowering, and it won't cripple us. Fear no longer dominates our, our lives. The answer, then, lies in understanding that we have one with us in our fears, strengthening us to go on no matter how we feel. We have one who is larger than our fears, bigger than our worries, and greater than our anxieties by our side. And he has practical down-to-earth solution for our problems. You see, we were created to live by faith and not be consumed by our fears. I found a quote by a, a fairly popular 20th century preacher. His name was E. Stanley Jones. He put it this way. I am inwardly fashioned for faith, not for fear. Fear is not my native land. Faith is. I am so made that worry and anxiety are sand in the machinery of life. Faith is the oil. I live better by faith and confidence than by fear and doubt and anxiety. In anxiety and worry, my being is gasping for breath. There are not, these are not my native air, but in faith and confidence, I can live and breathe freely. These are my native air. So we can look beyond our fears to Christ who loves and cares for us more than you will ever know. And I love the story, um, another fear buster. And it's found in the New Testament of the stormy sea of Galilee. It teaches us how to breathe that air freely. As you probably remember, the Sea of Galilee is situated in such a way that the fierce winds that come from the west and off the Mediterranean Sea will at any time blow across this Galilee and stir up a raging torrent of um, fury. On this, in this particular story, Jesus has just fed the 5,000 and has sent the people who he just fed on their way home. As you remember, they wanted to make him king, and it wasn't quite time. So Jesus sent them home, and he told his disciples, it's time for you to go on a boat ride. So the disciples are crossing the Sea of Galilee. They left about 6 o'clock at night. And it happens that that calm sea had the fierce winds blowing, and the disciples were in trouble, far away from land. 
for a strong wind had arisen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. Now, the disciples should have made it all the way across this sea in just a few hours. But here they are, nine hours later, still fighting the storms. They're tired, they're exhausted, and felt they could not battle the storm any longer. Are there times in life when you feel you've battled the storm as long as you can handle? Have you been battling it a lot longer than you probably should have? Um, but just like the disciples, there's good news on the horizon. Um, because we need to know where was Jesus during this time. Do you remember? He had been praying for them. And I love it. Jesus did not pray that their storm would stop. He didn't pray for the sea to be a nice, calm as glass. What was he praying for? He was praying that God would increase their faith. They were battling this storm so their faith could be increased. You remember Jesus is on his way to the cross, and who's going to have to battle a bigger storm soon? His disciples are going to be really bashed. And increasing their faith in this little storm would help them battle the bigger storm. Do um, you ever think that maybe sometimes you're battling storms that are preparing you for the bigger crisis that's coming on your way to your heavenly home? It was kind of eye-opening to me. You see, the disciples see the storm, but Jesus saw them. To the disciples, everything seemed out of control. But Jesus was still in control. And in the storms of life, he's got this. His eyes are upon us. When the thunder roars and the waves are high, he is still mighty to save. Verse 25 and 26 continues. Maybe. Um, Jesus came walking. Oh. Maybe I hit the wrong button. There we go. Jesus came walking to them on the water. And when the disciples saw him, they were terrified. In, in their fear, they cried out, it is a ghost. They're terrified because they feared what they didn't know. They were actually afraid of Jesus. Ironic. But they thought what they saw was a ghost. It seems that belief in evil spirits in the first century Palestine was rather common. Most people's idea of ghosts and goblins and phantoms was widespread. I would have expected that Jesus' disciples had been with him for quite a while, and I would have expected that that kind of thought wouldn't have been foremost in their head. Why would they have thought immediately of a ghost? After they spend so much time with Jesus, surely they knew better. You see, that's the problem with fear. It takes over and dominates our thoughts. It 
throws out any rational thinking that we may have had. And so here we've got the disciples faced with a terrifying situation, and their rational thinking is poofed. <laughs> they had their worst nightmares, they thought, coming true. They were terrified and couldn't get rid of their fears. You know, there are always those who say, don't worry about it, everything will be okay. Everything's going to turn out just fine. But you and I know that not everything always turns out the way we think it's fine. And so we play the what-if game. I'm sure you've played the, I play the what-if game a lot. What if I have cancer? What if the doctor wants me to do treatments immediately? What if I lose the what if, what if, what if? My husband should have been home at 5 o'clock. Here it is, 7 o'clock, and he's still not home. What if he's been in an accident? What if he's been hurt? What if he can't get to a phone? What if, what if, what if? My company is going to have some severe cutbacks. I'm probably going to lose my job. What if I do lose my job? What if I can't pay my bills? What if I lose my house? What if I... What if? What if? My teenage son has gone on a camping trip, and it's been four days, and he hasn't called. What if he's stuck in the mountain? What if he's been hurt, and he can't get any help? What if there's nobody around him? What if? What if? You played that game? Somewhere along the line, we realize that this what-if game has to go away, and it, we give way to the voice of Christ, who proclaims in the midst of the raging sea and the overwhelming dark darkness, be of good cheer. It's I. Do not be afraid. No reason to be afraid. I'm here. Yeah, you may have a problem, and it may have turned out the way you wanted it to, but I'm here. I got this. Have you ever noticed how many times Jesus says, be of good cheer and don't be afraid? He's always the answer to the overwhelming fears that consume our energy and rob our joy. It ruins our health. Fear must give way to faith as we adjust our focus. Do you know that fear is an emotion? And we can't always control our emotions. But faith is an attitude. In other words, I can choose faith in Christ. And even though the situation may not change, my attitude toward it changes. And it's no longer overpowering. And it's no longer something that controls me. I can put it in its place with faith. You see, faith is a trust in God as a well-known friend believing that he loves us and will never do us any harm. So we get to choose faith. And if you remember our story, that's exactly what Peter said or did. Peter cries out, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come walking to you on the water. Wow, that's a bold statement. I'm not sure I would have had that much courage, faith, trust. You see, faith leads us out of the boat. Faith leads us to walk on the stormy water with Jesus. Faith leads us to face the wind and the rain 
with our eyes fixed on the master of the wind. Faith triumphs over our fear. Faith overcomes the obstacles in our way and enables us to walk on the stormy seas with Jesus. How did Jesus respond to Peter? Do you remember Jesus simply said, yeah, come on. Sure, I'm here, come on. I love it. Jesus didn't say, you deal with it, Peter. I got, don't you see, I'm running a universe here. I got enough problems. You deal with that little simple thing of walking on water. No, 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 no. Jesus says, yes, come on down. And he, Peter responded to Christ's invitation. He stepped out of the boat. He ventured into the unknown with Jesus and did not allow his fears to paralyze him. What are your greatest fears? What do you worry about most? Do you realize Christ is bigger than your fears and bigger than your doubts? He's larger than our questions, and he invites us to come to him. And we know the story goes on that Peter walked on water as long as his focus was on Jesus. Something happened, though. Peter lost his sense of focus, and in verse 30, we, we're told, but when he saw the strong winds and the raging sea, he was terrified and began to sink. When he focused on Jesus, he walked on water. When he focused on the waves and the problems and the treacherous sea or the treacherous situation he was in, he sank. Either we look at our difficulties or we look up to Jesus. And as Peter, oh, I'm sorry. We look up to Jesus and his promises in us. When Peter began to sink under the waves, there was only one thing that could save him, and he knew it. He knew it wasn't his great understanding of the Sea of Galilee. It wasn't the years that he had spent as a fisherman. It wasn't his ability to swim that saved him. Peter knew what he needed to do to be saved. And Peter began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Matthew's recording of this is incredible to me because the very next words he records is, and immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. Now, I would have expected Mark, the young guy who was kind of rambunctious, to say that. But Matthew, come on, he's a calculated CPA. He, he doesn't get emotional about these things. But Matthew is so impressed that he says immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. Immediately when Peter cried out, Jesus responded. Jesus was there right away in his um, situation in the dark, stormy sea. Did you notice that this story has two cries? There's a cry of fear when the disciples don't know who it is that's coming. 
and they think they've seen a ghost. And there's the cry of faith when Peter was sinking and knew who to call on for salvation. We can have absolute confidence that Jesus responds to our cries, to the cry of fear. He says, don't be afraid. I'm here. It's I. And to the cry of faith, his strong arm is there to hold us up immediately. Perhaps that's what David was talking about when he wrote in the Psalms, um, chapter 20, verse 6. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed and the saving strength of his right hand. We are safe in the hands of Jesus. You know, I love what's not written in the Bible. It doesn't record that Jesus ever said, Peter, you've got no faith. Come on. Let's get your faith built up here. Or, Peter, where is your faith? Did you leave it back in the boat? No, 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 no. Jesus says, oh, ye of little faith. It seems that that was kind of important to Matthew, too, because later on in his gospel, in um, I think it's chapter 17, he says, if you had the faith of a mustard seed that's no bigger than a mustard seed, you could move that mountain. You would say to that mountain, move, and it moves. The mountains of your problems, the mountains of your trouble, the mountains of doubt, whatever, it moves. When we exercise the little bit of faith that we have, it moves mountains. Our faith in Christ's power to get us through the storms of life will grow into a mighty force that enables us to walk on the stormy seas of life's challenges. Did you notice that Peter had enough faith to get it out of the boat, but not enough faith to get through the storm? Jesus often allows the storms of life to blow upon us to increase our faith. If we would believe more, we would doubt less. Because the work of faith is to resolve our doubts. So we place our confidence in Christ and Christ alone. In me, I can see Christ because of my faith. And I can see his power, his strength to get me through. There's a lot of promises that the Bible gives us. But in Christ is the only place that we can find the confidence. We experience assurance. In Christ, we are lifted above the uncertainties and concerns. Our hearts are filled with security in the one who loves us with an everlasting, undying, unfathomable, exhaustless, endless love. Some of those promises that are mentioned in the Bible are many that say, fear not. Or don't be afraid. Someone has said that there are 365 promises that say do not fear or don't be afraid. 
or fear not or something like that. I can't prove it, but I'm trying. I've gotten to over 250, I've found, so far. But if it's true that there's 365, there's one for every day of the year. God wants us to know without any doubt that there's not a reason for us to fear and that we can go on in life rejoicing in his power. I wanted to share with you one of the most reassuring um, fear-not promises of the Bible. You probably can repeat it with me. You've probably memorized this one since long ago. Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah has oft is filled with those kind of promises, telling us to be strong and not fear, because God is our confidence. God will uphold us. We don't fear because Jesus is with me. We are free from the paralyzing fears because we believe that whatever situation, whatever state we find ourselves in, Christ will be with us. Remember Job? He knew that. He went through some really devastating situations. And even in the worst of it, even when he was sure that he wouldn't make it past, and in his pain, he cried out, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and I shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I will see God. Job had absolute assurance that a better life was coming and that one day he would see God face to face. Until that day, he would declare with absolute confidence and hope that though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. You see, even if we develop a life-threatening disease, our faith clings to his promise that one day Jesus will come again and take us home. Like Job, we believe that one day we will see him face to face. Remember his promise found in John 14? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you will be also. You see, I think that's the biggest reason Jesus took his disciples and many of his followers with him when he went to the mount just as he was ascending. Because now they, Peter and the rest of his disciples, could go to this promise and could say with absolute assurance, he's gone to prepare a place for me. Since I saw him go, I know he will come again. And he's going to take me to be with him where he is. And we will be together. On that wonderful day, Jesus will come. And we will all be caught up with him. Disease and death will be eradicated in the presence of our living God. 
One of the major reasons we don't live in fear is we know the end. We've read the last chapter. We know that sickness isn't going to have the last word. Christ will. We know that coronavirus, or any other virus for that sake, isn't going to be the end. Christ has the last word. Natural disasters, calamities, even nuclear war cannot destroy life on planet Earth. We have the promise of Jesus' return, and he will come to take us with him. You see famines, you see earthquakes. You see disease and stress of nations. We see potential for nuclear disaster or climate change. We see pestilences taking the lives of thousands. But we have the hope that enables us to strive in the toughest of times. We've read the last chapter. Remember Revelation 21, 4 to 5 says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. No more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. We are able to look beyond today, to look beyond the troubles, which are many. We look beyond the pestilences that are carried through the air into the pure air where there will be no pestilences. God has a purpose in permitting these calamities to occur. He is calling us to totally and completely depend on him. There is no certainty in the world we live in. Christ is our assurance. He is our security. He is our savior. He is our redeemer and our deliverer. You see, this world is not all there is. Christ is speaking to you, and he's mostly speaking to me. Our lives are fragile. Every single one of us lives in fragile, earthly bodies. But beyond what is, there is something better yet coming, and that is the glory of Christ. There is something worth living for beyond this life, beyond what we see. And that is Jesus Christ. Allow him to fill your heart, to take away your fears, to strengthen your resolve, and prepare you for his own return. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. May the grace of Jesus be with you all. Our Father in heaven, we pause for a moment to praise you and thank you for such wonderful promises. We struggle through our fears and our doubts. We don't hardly have enough faith to step out of the boat. But you've promised to be there with us. And we come now with that mustard seed of faith, asking you to guide us, to direct us, to be with us, and move our mountains. We want to trust you. We are choosing today that we are going to have that faith that overcomes any fears. For these things, we are so grateful, and we praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen.